news and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with me here on the show. Um, coming up bottom of this hour at, at 10.35, I am really looking forward to my interview with Juan Siscomani, the representative from Southern Arizona in the 6th sixth, sixth District. Um, he is making waves as a new member of the United States Congress and the House of Representatives, brought the Speaker of the House in a contingent down to the border, another look, and what Speaker McCarthy had to say, we're going to ask him about that visit. But he also was asked to give the Republican response to the State of the Union address that was given in Spanish to the Spanish speakers in this country. So he is already making a splash in in D.C. How does he parlay this into what needs to be done? That's going to be the conversation at 1035. The president of the United States addressed the world yesterday, not just us, but the rest of the world, talking about the uh, objects that were shot down by U.S. military aircraft. I want you to hear, and this is, again, this is concerning to me, and saying that uh, this is what these objects are that they took out of the sky. They're reporting to me daily and will continue their urgent efforts to do so, and I will communicate that to the Congress. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were. But nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. If that is the case, why did we shoot them down? Now, if they're saying that they were they were endangering commercial aircraft, there's ways around that without using a four hundred thousand dollar missile to shoot them out of the sky. Um, Here's a headline. (laughs) Hobby clubs missing balloon feared shot down by the Air Force. Now, again, we don't know if that's what this what this is, but we don't know it isn't either. This is what's crazy about this. A middle school class learns how to use a scientific balloon solution uh, solutions. Pico balloon, a small globe trotting balloon declared missing in action by an Illinois based hobbyist club in February has emerged as a candidate to explain one of the three mystery objects shot down by four heat seeking missiles launched. By the U.S. Air Force since February 10th. The club, the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, the NIBBB, is not pointing the fingers yet, but the circumstantial evidence is at least intriguing. The club's silver-coated party-style Pico balloon reported its last position February 10th at 38,910 feet off the west coast of Alaska and a popular forecasting tool. So it goes on to talk about this. I don't know what we shot down. But what's scary about this is neither does the White House. And I mean this as a – it's not a criticism, but I guess maybe it is a criticism. If we don't know what it is, why would we shoot it down? What danger did it pose? And here's another question that's a fair one. We didn't shoot down what we knew was a spy balloon. And if it was posing a danger – It would have posed the same danger. It was bigger than these other balloons. The one that we shot down originally, the one that we say is a Chinese spy balloon, was eventually shot down. They have been tracking it from when it left the ground all the way across Canada, into the United States, across the U.S., and into the Atlantic Ocean where it was shot down. 
You mean to tell me that as it traversed that area, it that was not endangering American aircraft? Because if their excuse is we had to shoot these down, even if they weren't um, used in surveillance, we had to shoot them down because they were endangering commercial aircraft. Then why wouldn't we have shot the one that was bigger down sooner? Uh, these are all obvious questions. Why are we not asking them? Um. I lament the gotcha politics we have in our country as well, and this is part of it, is that every question, when you question somebody, every question I just asked is a legitimate question, and it should be asked by all of us. I would say if we, in a perfect society, which we're never going to live in, the president's people, the ones that support him and defend him, should be the ones asking that question the loudest, because in the end, you're the one that has to defend the action. What actions are you defending? Are you defending something that's indefensible? Are you defending something that even you believe you shouldn't be defending? That's a great question. And that's where it goes for a lot of other issues. But the president, the leader of the free world, had to address the world on this because we are flying military aircraft and shooting things out of the sky. That is seen as an act of provocation by a lot of people in the world, so much so that the president had to give a disclaimer. As I've said since the beginning of my administration, we seek competition, not conflict with China. We're not looking for a new Cold War, but I make no apologize. I make no apologies and we will compete. We're not talking about competition here. We're talking about military aggression. Now, I am not someone that shies away from that either. I was a proponent. I supported George W. Bush in the invasion in Iraq. Most of you know the story. I lost a brother there. I became a part of the movement that supported the president's movement in doing those things. So it's not as if I, I'm someone that's uh, – I'm not trying to now build myself up to be some kind of a, a peacenik. What I'm saying is if you're going to do something that's perceived as an act of provocation – by a lot of people in the world, and when I'm talking about some of our enemies, how are the Russians going to use this in propagandizing the Chinese, the North Koreans? Are they going to say, look at the Americans. They're showing – they're flexing their muscles. They're shooting weather balloons out of the sky with military aircraft. You mean to tell me that that's not a warning sign? You mean to tell me that that's not them saying you better watch out? It's exactly what they're doing because imagine how we felt. You know, Kim Jong Un tells the world that he's lobbing missiles into the sea, and they're just test firing, and it's just part of what they're doing to make sure they're ready just in case. The rest of the world, including Korea, saw this as something of an act of provocation. Recently, in the last couple of days, more than one occasion, the United States military off the coast of Alaska has intercepted Russian jets getting very, very close, if not into American airspace. How did we view that? We view that as an act of provocation. So I'm not saying we shouldn't have done it. We don't know whether or not, or not we should have. But how, are, how is America going? Forget the rest of the world for a moment. How are the American people going to feel if the reports come out in the next weeks or so, or if we don't find out anything at all? But if we're told that they shot this Hobby Club's balloon out of the sky and they shot two other balloons that were weather balloons that didn't have any surveillance capabilities, they weren't owned by China, these were privately owned, completely um, devoid of any danger to people as far as surveillance goes or war, how are we going to feel? How's the world going to view us doing that? 
Those are there's not an invalid question in any of that. Um, what we're going to do in just a moment is uh, we're going to go back to the topic of the stolen election. Carrie Lake's latest appeal in an appeals court in Arizona was rejected. She promises to move forward, and she's going to go after this in the Supreme Court. So we'll talk about this and the implications in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, Yesterday, an Arizona appeals court rejected a challenge by Kerry Lake to overturn the 2022 midterm election. So I want you to hear a little bit of a recap of this. Um, This is a breakdown by Channel 12. Republican Carrie Lake, the former candidate for Arizona governor, has lost her appeal to try to set aside the results of the 2022 general election. The Arizona Court of Appeals affirming Governor Hobbs' victory over Lake by more than 17,000 votes. The appellate judge deciding that after reviewing the evidence that voters were able to cast their ballots and that votes were counted correctly. Now, uh, Carrie Lake has promised to carry this on to the Supreme Court. She is not giving up now. But what it has also done is it has prompted some bills and some passage in the Arizona State Legislature along party lines by Republicans. Um, and the idea of a couple of things that they want, one of the things that they want, and I would say to that I, I'm not in favor of either one of these. One of them is um, getting rid of early voting and going straight to a one day, one vote at the polls. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that the system does not need to be fixed. I'm not saying that, but absolutely getting rid of mail-in voting. Even if you won that battle, you would lose the war. You would alienate many people. How popular? Here's here's Dennis Welch from AZ Family. How popular is early voting? Now, early voting was championed by Republicans in the early 1990s, with Arizona being a model for several states. It's also extremely popular, with more than 80 percent of Arizona voters choosing to cast early ballots in the past election. So when you look at what the questions are about early voting and its signature matching, and I would say to you that I understand if you want to make sure that the person that filled out that ballot is the person that that ballot was mailed to, that if it says a, a John Q. Public on it, that Mr. Public is actually the one that signed the envelope. I understand all of that. I don't vote early. I go to the polls. I go to the polls. So – I also understand that there are many people that like the option. When you look at the ballot, look at the number of judges on a ballot, propositions on the ballot, things you have to vote for. There are a lot of very thoughtful people out there that say, I want to be able to sit down with a cup of coffee or a stiff drink, whatever it is you need. I want to go through the ballot. I want to research the issues, and I want to do this at my own convenience. I don't want to wait in line and then jump into a ballot booth and have to check a box or fill in a bubble and be done. I would rather relax and do it at my own pace. No problem with that. If we can make the system better, I think we will. But when you've got members of the media, and they're right when they say it was championed by Republicans, it was largely used and mostly used by Republicans for a very long time since the 90s, and now all of a sudden they want to get completely rid of it. The question I would ask you is how long did it take to count the ballots in Maricopa County during the audit? Remember that? How many months did it take to count Maricopa County? And what were the results? The results of the count, I'm not talking about signatures, just the result count, 
was almost exactly the same. That the machines didn't make mistakes. That leads me to my last point on all of this. For those out there that believe that a hand count is the only way to verify this and it can be done quickly, you're going to have to have thousands of volunteers count the ballots. Thousands from both political parties. And as I said earlier this morning, um, I would venture to say that if, if uh, when the Senate campaign comes up and Senator Sinema is up for re-election as an independent, that she's not going to want Republicans and Democrats counting votes without an independent eye there. And so now you've got to have independence there as well. But you know as well as I do for the people out there that are lining up out in front of people's houses and people that are out there in, in – uh, and I'm not talking about ballot box watchers that went out with the genuine opinion of I want to see what's going on. I'm talking about the ones that showed up in camouflage and face coverings. You know who I'm talking about, the people that go to people's houses like Clint Hickman from the County Board of Supervisors and threaten to take him to Facebook jail with a citizen's arrest, those people. They're never going to be satisfied because what they are going to say is, how do we know those were really Republicans? Because a lot of people signed up. I'd never seen them before. I've been involved in Republican politics in Arizona for 20 years, and I didn't recognize a lot of those people. They said they were Republicans. They volunteered to be a Republican watcher with another Democrat. We think a bunch of those people were Democrat infiltrators that pretended to be Republicans. How do you vet them? Well, they had a Republican registration. Well, anybody can be registered Republican. How long were they a Republican? Do we know they're really Republicans? What if they newly registered as a voter? Do you understand the argument I'm making here? You understand the argument I'm making here. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. I want what's best for Arizona, including election integrity. I want to know, I want all of us to feel as if our elections are free and fair. I agree with you. But when you are doing this, there people will never be satisfied. You're going to tell me that the thousands of people that would be necessary to count those votes by hand, how are you going to verify they're really Republicans? How? You can't. And you know as well as I do, if the results ended up where Kerry Lake lost by 17,000 votes, they would blame the vote counters and say a bunch of those vote counters are really Democrat moles. How do you get around that? How do you fix that issue? We got to sometimes think about all of this stuff. Coming up in a moment, Representative Juan Siscomani joins the Mike Broomhead Show. We're going to talk about his border visit and the State of the Union address. It's all coming up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I have been excited about this interview for some time. A trip down to the border with the Speaker of the House and Representative Juan Siscomani joins us. Congressman, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mike. Happy to be on. Uh, let's let's talk about first. Let's talk about the visit, and then I'm going to get a couple of other things in. How did the visit go with the speaker and the other people that were with them? Do you think that people were learning things they haven't seen before, or, or what did they take away from this trip? Absolutely. What they what the main thing that they took away is to see a clear view of uh, what people at the border are living every single day. We One of the stops that we had, we of course had a briefing with Border Patrol and, uh, and the enforcement unit there. We also had a uh, a, a stop that I that I think this was one of the, the 
best ones of the trip where we had a round table with ranchers, the business owners, mayors, county supervisors, local law enforcement, border patrol, and everyone talking about what they're seeing. And and the, the message was clear that it's out of control. They've never seen it this bad. To quote the Tucson sector chief just a few weeks ago, he said, before I call this unprecedented, now I don't have an adjective to describe it. So this was the message. And then they got to see it firsthand when they went to the to the wall. We were there. We did a press conference there. And, and the speaker got to see this. And you're right. We, we had members from Virginia, from Oregon, and from Wisconsin as well. Because I've been saying this situation at the border, it, now every state has become a border state because of the fentanyl crisis. So they got to see it firsthand how it's happening and, and how the people at the border are paying the price for, for uh, Biden Mayorkas's failed failed policies. This is one of those issues that I say isn't about right and left. It's about right and wrong. Are you able to cross over the aisle? Are people on the other side of the aisle from you listening to the message that you are bringing? Or is it still difficult because of the partisan divide to get any kind of a work together on this issue? Well, there there is a partisan divide. And what the, there's a big difference here between uh People on both sides of the aisle, in this case, I'll talk about our, our, our Democrat friends that live on the border. From the group that we had yesterday, we had a county supervisor that's a Democrat. We had the mayor of Sierra Vista that's a Democrat. And they were all on the same page. Everyone's seeing the impacts of this, both on the budgets of, of the local municipalities and the county, but also the dangers that it poses to the, the people at the border. And uh, it's a different story when you go to Washington, D.C., though. The, that's there, there are some people that are seeing this and that they're willing to work with us to solve the crisis. I think others may be able to see it, but they they may not be willing to cross the aisle and and, and do this. But you're absolutely right. This should not be a a, a Republican versus Democrat issue. This is an issue that is impacting everyone. And one of the important things to clarify, and going back to your first question, what's the biggest takeaway? Now, the speaker had been to, not a speaker, to many other parts of the border, but this is his first trip as Speaker of the House, and he chose Arizona CD6 to go do this. And uh, one of the reasons was because we're so different than unique in what's happening in other ports of entry, including in the Yuma sector, you may mainly have families turning themselves in or people overall going and turning themselves in to be processed. Not in the Cochise, uh, Tucson, Cochise County, which is the Tucson sector. You have the really, really bad actors going through there, the ones that are camouflaged and hiding and, and wearing the booties so they can't be, uh, they can't be tracked on, you know, booties on their shoes so they can be tracked and uh, they're carrying backpacks with fentanyl. These are the, the really bad actors and that's very unique to Cochise County and what we're seeing there. And, and that is one of their biggest takeaways that this is not only about people claiming asylum and looking for a better life. This is about people trying to do harm to our country and that's what we're seeing out of Cochise County. So what is it that you would hope to get done and realistically what do you think you can get done as far as something Something's got to be done about this. Both sides of the aisle have to work together. But do you think you can accomplish it? And if so, what do you think can be accomplished? So a couple of things, and and these things are what, what really lies in the power of the House which the first one is the power of the purse. What we saw there are are different areas where free sources can really make an impact, specifically in the area of technology. This is uh, one of the ranchers said something that was that was quite uh, stunning. He said, if you if you have me choose between what the what the physical barrier or a wall could do and what technology could do, I'll take the technology all day. He said because the the the, the wall that we have without the proper technology is is, you know, it, it's 
incomplete uh, in terms of the approach. So the investment in technology on this, when we are short on agents, that is a big piece of it, and that's what comes from from uh, from the House. Now I sit on the Appropriations Committee. I'm the only freshman in the Congress to sit there, and I'm I'm also the only Arizonan in appropriations. So through this process is that I can advocate and, and fight for more resources to the border. That's one. And the other one is oversight. The House has oversight over the executive branch with the secretaries and, and the execution of that. So Mayorkas has been evading and really not being brought in for questioning in any sort of matter uh, since since Biden has been in office with, with, a, with a Congress that did not hold him accountable. So now that's being changed. And then also we're bringing awareness to the issue by actually having the committee hearings, not only in D.C., but having them here at the border. And and prime example is that that's going to happen in the Yuma sector next week with Judiciary Committee. So these are all examples of of ways we can, one, put pressure, but also uh, attack on the funding side. Congressman Juan Siscomani from Arizona CD6 joins us. Um, So... You, I know you had said I mean, we've been playing soundbite of you saying that there's two separate issues in border security and immigration reform. But are you able to work and concede some things in immigration reform to get what you want with border security, or does this need to be a negotiation that stands by itself? And can you be be successful if that's the case? Well, I think we can be successful at this. There, there's enough common ground within at least the Republican caucus that border security is a priority. Uh, you know my story. I, I immigrated here when I was a, a young kid with my family, and we all went through the process, became U.S. citizens. If someone can tell you about the process and, and where it needs help and where it, it's, quite frankly, outdated and broken in a lot of ways, it's, it's my family. I mean, we, we went through it, so I understand it. And and uh, so I can speak about that from experience. I can also tell you that w- what's happening at the border right now, we've never seen it before. We've never seen it in terms of the, the fentanyl crossing and the relationship between Mexico and China to to get these products into our country and how it's attacking our youth. So that has to be a priority. And, and I do think and I have a passion for this, too to also uh, work and attack this this area of the immigration that, that we need to also look at. Uh, but the border security has to be the top priority. And there's common ground in that with, with the Republican conference. And, and we I think we can bring some, some of our Democrats uh, along as well. I want to shift gears for a moment because since you've been in office, you have received quite a bit of attention. I want to read a headline. I don't know if this is going to make you laugh or embarrass you, but it says Arizona Representative Juan Siscomani could be the rising star Republicans need. Um, You were asked to give the rebuttal to the State of the Union address in Spanish. Um, Why do you believe that you are getting the attention you're getting? And uh, what I mean, what can you do with it to these issues and the others that are so important to us here? Well, thanks for the question. It's uh, it's been a fast start for us. And I keep hearing that they haven't seen another you know, freshmen to get these opportunities. So I'm very grateful for them. I was able to give also a, 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 a nomination speech for the speaker uh, on that first long week of selecting the speaker. So we, we've been granted a lot of opportunities. And w- how I see this and the biggest benefit is giving our my district and our state uh, a seat at the table. When we when we have done these things, it's just it just shows that that we're able to have influence and and work with my 434 other members 
uh, specifically on the Republican side, to advance uh, good policy. And, and, and the way that I've been able to use some of the, those uh, success examples is, for example, by bringing the speaker here and, and, and making this his first trip to the border. And, and now he sees it. He knows that even better, he can go back to Washington and push on this from, from firsthand experience. These are all the things that I think can, can really benefit and, and move the needle. It also showed that the Republican Party and, and the House We've got a lot of tools. Giving that, that rebuttal in Spanish, um, quite frankly, caught more attention than I was expecting on, on the English side because we hadn't seen that in a long time. And that just shows that our party is diverse, that we're a white tent, and we welcome people. The message was very straightforward. It's about the American dream and how these policies are impacting the American dream for so many families that want to pursue it like my family did. I want every family to have that opportunity, whether they're immigrants or not, to, to be able to pursue that. But these policies are just choking families out of that opportunity. And, and that was a message, what we were critical about and what can we do to fix this. And, and that's been our, our approach. Well, Congressman, I appreciate the time this morning. And I hope that when you're in the Valley, you'll come by the studio. I'd love to have you in for a half an hour and talk about your your story, as remarkable it is, and how you're using it in the Congress. And I wish you more success. And I appreciate the time today. Count on it. Let's make it happen. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thank you. That is uh, Representative Juan Siscomani from AZ District 6 um, and making a lot of a lot of noise as a freshman in the House of Representatives. Coming up in a moment, uh, does eliminating honors courses create equity in public schools? Because that's the intention. We'll talk about that coming up in a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with me here on the show. And a big thank you to Congressman Juan Siscomani spending some time on the show. Um, always great information and talking to our elected officials. An interesting story. Here's This is a headline um, from the Wall Street Journal. To increase equity, school districts eliminate honors classes. A group of parents stepped to the lectern Tuesday night at a school board meeting in the middle class Los Angeles area to push back against a racial equity initiative. The high school, they argued, would reinstate, should reinstate honors English classes that were eliminated because they didn't enroll enough black and Latino students. Let me tell you why this is dangerous on a number of levels. Number one, we should be rewarding success, not punishing it. We should be allowing some mechanism for um, allowing those that are ahead of the class in one way or another to stay ahead of the class. Um, Whether it's physical or whatever it is, there are times I have a lot of friends who, when we were young, were amazing athletes as young people. They were bigger, stronger, faster at a younger age necessarily, but people caught up to them later on. We didn't hold them back. You allow people to excel. The other place, and I think where it's most dangerous, is this. Um, I can't imagine in a situation where there is true equality that you would ever say to someone that is non-white, you don't have to play by the same rules and it would be successful. It would be insulting. The best one I can think of is sports, uh, the NFL, so to speak. And let's talk about the players, and then we'll talk about the disparity in coaches in a moment. But you would never say to an NFL player, could you imagine, as an Arizona Cardinals fan and a season ticket holder, can you imagine if the coaching staff had said to Larry Fitzgerald, uh, as a black player, Larry, you only have to learn 80% of the playbook? Or 
we're not going to give out the MVP award because it's not given enough to players that are non-white. It's absurd. If you go and look, the best player is the best player. You know, uh, you've seen J.J. Watt win Defensive Player of the Year a number of times. You've also seen a lot of uh, black players win that. The Heisman Trophy, whatever it is. When you have true equality, the color of your skin doesn't matter. So telling young people that are non-white that the system is rigged against you, what it does is it makes excuses for people. That every instance I have ever seen in my life, and I've seen it a number of times in coaching myself, when you put demands on young people, it doesn't matter if they're boys or girls or black or white or Hispanic, doesn't matter. They can rise to the occasion when you have expectations and you show those – you they have those expectations in themselves. They rise to the occasion. I don't want to see anybody not be the best that they can be. And to tell someone the system's rigged against you, I think it sends them the wrong message. Now, there's a message that says you're going to have to work harder. And I will tell you this. When you look at the disparity in coaching in the NFL, I don't want to make this a sports show. But when you look at, a, at an Eric Bieniemy and you wonder how that guy is an NFL head coach, and a lot of us wonder that. It's people that are big coaching fans. I became a Miami Hurricanes fan in the 70s, the late 70s, partly because I was moving to South Florida. They were not a great program yet. But um, – Howard Schnellenberger, the coach of the Miami Hurricanes, told the entire country, we are going to recruit kids from the inner city. We are going to give inner city kids a chance to play Division I football, and we're going to win a national championship in five years. And largely college football laughed until it happened. And it opened a door, figuratively speaking, for kids to get an opportunity. When that opportunity was given from, no one said it was going to be easy for them. No one made it easy for them. But given the opportunity, not only did they rise to the occasion, they rose to be the kings of the, of the, of the castle. And so that to me is the biggest challenge is how do you say to people, acknowledging in people, you're right, sometimes the, de- the deck is stacked against you. But if you work your butt off, there's no one that's going to stop you. And that attitude, I think, when you say we're not graduating enough kids, we don't have enough kids in honors courses that have uh, have, of color, so we're going to get rid of the honors courses, does that solve the problem? It doesn't. What it does is it covers the problem up. What we do then is we say to kids of color, are you really not as smart as those white kids? And they say, well, we don't have this or we don't have that. Some of us don't have access to Internet. Well, then what you say is we're going to work around it and we're going to get you there. Just like the athletic field, just like everything else, we're going to find a way to get you there because we know you can get there. You know you can get there. That's the message we should be sending. Not we're going to get rid of a program because that covers up the problem. Those same kids still don't have access to the Internet or access to other things. They still don't have what's necessary to be the best they can be. So by not having anybody be the best doesn't fix the problem. I would even argue it makes it worse. And it's sad. What we're going to do in the final hour of the show, of course, we're going to do Did You Hear This at 1120. If you're new to the show, thanks for checking us out. But at 1120 every day, we do a segment called Did You Hear This to catch you up on the headlines. We'll also talk about the governor vetoing the skinny budget next.